blows that just amazes me. I remember back in 2008, I got an email from a lady who was looking for churches. She'd been through one of the worst times in her life, and she sent out an email saying, can you pray for me? And what I didn't know at that time, she'd sent that email out to numerous churches in the county. And, uh, and, and Jill probably tells the, better, the story better than myself, but I replied to that email, and I said we'd be praying for you, and then she said that she wanted to come and visit the church that we were at on Sunday morning. So I just sent a very quick email. I knew that she'd never been in church before. So I just told her exactly all that would happen in that service so she wouldn't get kind of spooked out and think, whoa, what are those people doing, raising their hands and things like that. So I just explained all. Well, Jill came. She got prayed for. She gave her life to the Lord. And then she had that surgery, and it got even worse. The surgery came, and it didn't work. And Jill and Chris decided to join the church um, back in, you know, we, that we knew them, we were friends with them, and they called us one day, and they said, you know, we would like to, to come and be part of Generation Church. And, uh, and they came, and they were here, they were, when we were meeting in a little, little living room, and uh, it soon got a little crowded in that little living room. Um, and they've been here ever since. But Jill, when we first started the church, she had to go through that surgery all over again. And so when we started, I think it was like five weeks. And she didn't even know like that we, you know, she knew we were meeting here, but she had never really seen the, the, the school. And she went through so much. But I remember her mom coming. And her mom was just very anti-God. Very, didn't want to talk about church, didn't want to talk about God. And I remember in that period of time from when Jill had a surgery to where like, I don't know, four weeks later her mom left. And her mom lives in Florida. You just saw a change in her mom. And her mom decided to give God a go because of what Jill went through. Because she saw how Jill coped. And not only that, she saw how the people of Generation Church came and helped Jill through that time. And she saw something that was just missing in her life. And she went back home. She joined a church. She gave her life to the Lord. And now she's been baptized. I mean, isn't that an incredible story? Through somebody going through so much pain, that somebody found life. And sometimes life can be like that. Sometimes God can use those situations in our life that we can go through so much pain in our own lives and we think, God, why? Why, why is this happening to me? But yet God uses what was so bad for so much good. And I wonder today if Jesus walked into this room, like he walked into Jill's life, like he walked into Jill's mom's life, I wonder if Jesus walked into this room today, I wonder how many of us would recognize him. Would you instantly know that he was Jesus? How would you know that he was Jesus? You'd probably look for a man with like a big beard and long hair. Like you see like in the old 1950s British movies. Maybe you're looking for a man in a robe and some sandals. Maybe you'd say, okay, let me see if he's got scars on his hands and his feet. Maybe you'd look for a man who had like just an aura about him. Or even somebody who was like walked in with a halo around his head or something like that. I could almost guarantee that if Jesus walked into this room today, the majority of us probably would not recognize him. And that's not saying that we're bad people. It's just we probably would not recognize him. You see, 2,000 years ago, there was a lot of godly people who lived in a region called Judea that was part of the nation of Israel. And Jesus came... 
And they were godly people. They loved God. Yet when Jesus came, they did not recognize him as Jesus. You see, they were waiting patiently for something called the Messiah. The Messiah was the chosen one from God who was going to come to the people of Israel and he was going to set the people free. And what he was going to do, he was going to come and he was going to bring hope and life and liberty to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel would have an incredible life because the Messiah had come. And Jesus was that Messiah, but yet they did not recognize him. You see, the people, they were looking for a king. They were under Roman rule at the time. The Roman Empire had spread throughout Rome and, and, and Italy. And then they've gone east into Eastern Europe, into, Tur- into modern-day Turkey. And they've come down, and, and they now were in this region called Judea. And they ruled over it. And the Jewish people hated the Romans because they came and invaded their land. I said it before, it would be like the Canadians coming and invading the United States. We would hate the Canadians, right? Like that would never happen. But they came and they hated the Romans. So they decided that they wanted a king, someone who would overthrow the Romans. And they thought that when the Messiah would come, the Messiah would be this great warrior, this king who would lead them to battle against the Roman soldiers, and he would win the day, and the people of Israel would be freed, and they would be able to rejoice and worship God freely without being under Roman rule. So when Jesus came, he didn't come as a king. Jesus didn't come as a warrior. He didn't come as somebody who was just ready to fight. And take out the Romans. So they did not recognize him as the Messiah. When they saw Jesus, they saw this lowly carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. We talked a few weeks ago about people learning their father's trade or their, or their, their family trade. And, J- and Jesus' father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And so Jesus learned this trade. So he was known in this region as a carpenter. But we also learned a few weeks ago that Jesus was also called Rabbi. He was a man who would interpret the scriptures and people would listen to him. But that's all people thought that Jesus was. A carpenter and then he had a side job as a rabbi. They did not recognize him as the Messiah. They saw Jesus as a man who came with these unconventional methods and these teachings that they'd never heard of before. But they did not recognize him as the Messiah. For them, he wasn't a warrior. He was just another guy. Another guy. And so often, we think, well, I think when I read the Bible, I think it was just the ungodly people at the time, those who didn't really love God, who did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But as we read the Scriptures, and as I look in and and study the Scriptures, I realize that sometimes it was the people who were the very closest to God did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The people who were the closest to God. They were the ones who went to the temple and worshipped God. They were the ones who, who, who did the ceremonial washings and the prayers and they read the Torah. They were the ones who sent their kids off to Bible school and VBS and all that. They did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And there was a man in the Bible whose name was John. He was nicknamed John the Baptist. He was, in fact, a relative of Jesus. He was a miracle child. You see, his his parents, Elizabeth and Zachariah, were like super old. And when I mean super old, I mean like, like 80s, 90s. I don't know how old they were. All I know is that they were old. 
And so I hope I'm not offending anyone. 80s, 90s, I don't think so. And, but they were old. And they had never been able to have children. And one day God comes and suddenly Elizabeth is pregnant. And she's pregnant with this boy and they want to call him Zachariah. But God says, no, call him John. And he's born and this miracle child grows up and they dedicate him unto God. And he lives a life that is honoring unto God. They nicknamed him the Baptist, John the Baptist. And this man, as he grew older, he became a preacher. And he started preaching that people should turn from their wicked ways and turn back to God. Something that would be called repentance. And he started preaching this repentance before it was ever popular to do so. People had not heard somebody be so adamant about turning to God before. And this man, John, started to preach and he had a a big following. In fact, what he used to do, he would take people down to a place called the Jordan River and he would take them and those who have turned their lives around to God, he would take them and he would baptize them in water. Basically, he would just dunk them in the Jordan River as a symbol to show that they had turned their lives back to God. And this was a common practice in those days. What they would do, people would go into the temple and then they would, they would, uh, there would be bowls that they could wash in. And people would go and they would wash their bodies as a ceremonial cleansing, saying that, God, I'm cleansing myself of sin. And John took it to another level. And what John did, he actually took people outside the temple. He took them to this dirty river called the Jordan River. And he would do it for them. And so that people would return unto God. And he did this time and time again. In fact, this man even sacrificed his own pleasures of this world. And he lived a very lowly, humble, not so nice life. Let's look. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Mark. Chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. Second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Mark chapter 1. It says there, it says, This is the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. So there would be somebody who would come before Jesus and preach and prepare a way for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. So it was this guy, this miracle baby. This was the messenger from God. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized so that they should be, so that to show that they had repented from their sins and turned back to God and be forgiven. All of Judea, including all of Jerusalem, went out to see it and hear John. So this guy was like famous. I mean, all the region went out. That would be like everybody in Harford County going out and seeing some guy out in the Chesapeake, or even worse, out in the Bush River, and, uh, and you know, and, and baptizing somebody. Like everybody, like going out, what is he doing? This is what happens. And it says... His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. So we can obviously see that this man was just like a fashion icon. I mean, camel hair and just a leather belt. Yeah. Is that me? I'm sorry. And then for once more, not only did he just wear camel hair, and it wasn't even like nice, it was coarse camel hair. It says for food... 
he ate locusts and wild honey. I'm like, that's just gross. I'm sorry. I recall myself have been on this Daniel fast, and, uh, and basically we can't like, eat meat and you know, animal products and, or processed food. And I'll be honest, I don't like it. I'm like, I think I'd rather just like, eat, like, not eat for three days than do this thing long course. It's just like, I don't like it. But this guy had a diet of locusts and wild honey. I'm like, I'm like where's the vegetables? This guy was probably unhealthy. I mean, locusts and wild honey. Anyway. Then it says, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps from his sandals. I baptize you with water, but this person who's coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And as we look deeper into the life of this man, John the Baptist, we see that he knew his purpose in life. He knew that his purpose was to create a roadway, build a roadway, so that the Messiah could come and walk down it. He knew that he was just preparing a way for someone who is greater than him to come and preach to these people and tell these people about God. In fact, we learn a little bit more about him in the book of John. In John chapter 1. In the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 6. We see that God sent a man. So this wasn't just any man. This was a man who was sent of God. He was appointed of God. God had a purpose for his life. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. So that everyone might believe because of his testimony, because of John's testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is a true light who gives light to, the, to everyone, was coming into the world. And then in verse 19 of, uh, of John chapter 1, it says, This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? John came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. So John was like, I may be some like, big wig, I may be like, some special like, famous person, but I am not the Messiah. Don't get me wrong. Don't put me on that pedestal. They said, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah, the great prophet? No, he replied. Then they said, are you the prophet we are expecting? He said, no. Then who are you, they asked. We need an answer for those who sent me. What what do you have to say about yourself? And John replied, and he said this. He said, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord. So he's like some guy going in the wilderness with a machete. And he is taking out all the, all, all the trees and all the bushes so that the Messiah can have a clear way forward. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah, if you aren't Elijah, if you're, if you're not the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water. But here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy. Here he says again, I'm not even worthy to be a slave to untie the straps of his sandals. It says this encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. John was clear he was not the Messiah. He was a man who was making a way for the Messiah. In reality, this man John was like everyone else. He was like you and me. Even though he was a miracle baby, he was like you and me. 
He wasn't anything really special. And like, like everybody else, John was expecting the Messiah. And John wanted the Messiah to come to shake things up. And everybody else in Judea wanted the Messiah to come and overthrow the Romans. But John wanted the Messiah to come to shake everybody so that they would turn back to their old ways of looking to God and loving God. He wanted a religious community where people would just love God. In fact, we even see a statement that Jesus made about this man. In the book of Luke, verse 7 and 28, Jesus said this about John. And this puts in perspective just how godly this man was. Jesus says, I tell you, of all the people who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Of everybody who has ever lived, none is greater than John. Jesus isn't saying there that just like in this region, John's the greatest. He isn't even saying he's the greatest man who lives at this time. What Jesus is saying is that John is the greatest man who has ever lived. Let's put this in perspective. I mean, you've got great people like Noah, like Abraham, like Joseph, like Samuel, like David, like Elijah. All these people, great, great people of God, great kings, great warriors. And Jesus is saying, this man is the greatest amongst all those people. This guy was some pretty incredible person. He was like the big dog. Yet despite how great this man was, how godly this man was, This man was like everyone else, like every one of us. And for him to recognize who Jesus really was, he had to have an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. You can see from this man's message, he was hungry for God. He had a hunger for God. He lived a life what was devoted unto God. You can imagine him waking up in the morning, putting his camel jacket on and his little belt thinking, God, I'm doing this for you. Every time he went to a mealtime, he probably had to hold his nose to eat those locusts because they were like repulsive. But he says, God, I'm doing this for you. He was devoted unto God. Yet this man still had to have an encounter with God. And this is what happened. In John chapter 1, verse 29, we see this. So the next day, this is after John has spoken with all those Pharisees, and he's like, I'm not the Messiah. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So now John has recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And John says this in verse 31, I did not recognize him as the Messiah. But I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I did, and then he says, I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one on whom you see my spirit descend and rest 
is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. This great man, John the Baptist, did not know that Jesus was the one. He did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. And it took a divine encounter from God to see it. We see seven words that John says. I didn't know he was the one. I didn't know he was the one. The greatest man who had ever lived did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. This man John, he was a prophet of God. He was in touch with God. Yet he missed out on who Jesus really was. And I wonder today how many of us have missed out on who Jesus really is. On who he really is. You see, for John, it took an encounter with God, and this is what happened. Jesus was in the line like everybody else, ready to be baptized. And so John, when he saw Jesus, he thought he was just another guy, just another carpenter coming to get baptized. And when he baptized him, and he comes up out of the water, suddenly the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit just comes down. It says like a dove. I mean, I couldn't even explain what that looks like. But all I know is that at that moment, John had an encounter and he heard God say, this is my chosen son. This is the one. And for some of us, for us to have an encounter with God, it will take a John-like encounter for us to realize who Jesus is. We can be open to God, but yet sometimes it takes the Holy Spirit coming and descending from heaven and saying, no, this is who Jesus is, my chosen son. So for each of us today, Jesus is not easily recognizable. You know, the world portrays Jesus as a good man. For some of us, or for some people, they think Jesus was just a prophet, a prophet of God. Others think that Jesus was just a revolutionist of his day. Others think he was a religious expert. Some say he was just a rabbi. Yet Jesus is none of these. He's none of these. You know, one time Jesus was being asked by everybody, what are you? Are you Elijah? Are you Moses? Are you a prophet? Just who are you? And Jesus, in the midst of that, turned to his disciples. And he's looked at them. He says, who do you say I am? These people are saying I'm a prophet. But who do you say I am? And Peter, kind of the leader of the group, stepped up and he says, you are the Messiah. You are the one. You are the Son of God. Who else do we go to? And Jesus is asking you the same question today, I believe. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you believe that Jesus is? And unless we understand that Jesus is the Messiah, he's not just a good guy, he's not just somebody who can help us in a time of need, he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one of God. He is the one who has come to set his people free. He is the one to give you come, who has come to give you peace, hope, Love, justice. He is the one who has come to be your king. He's the Messiah and he's asking, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You see, unless we encounter Jesus, we'll be like the masses of people 2,000 years ago in Judea who thought Jesus was just a carpenter or a rabbi. And carpenters and rabbis do not change your life, but Messiahs change your life. Carpenters or rabbis don't do anything to enhance your life, really. 
They may give you a good entertainment system or something. But messiahs, they give you hope and they give you life and they give you joy and they give you love. And maybe you're going through a situation in your life today. Maybe you're crying out to God. And maybe God is using that situation like he did in Jill's life to reveal, yes, I am the Messiah. Recognize who I am. Maybe you're going through a situation in your life today and maybe you do not even recognize that Jesus is standing right in the middle of that situation because you don't recognize who Jesus is. You know what's more? One encounter with God isn't enough. You know, if you had an encounter with God 10 years ago, it's not enough. To realize who Jesus really is, you need to have ongoing encounters with God to recognize who Jesus really is. You can start to lose perspective unless it keeps going on and on. And I believe that God is a God who reveals his son to his people on a regular basis. You know, I've told this story before. But back in December 26, December 26, 2008, I had a horrid Christmas. Worst Christmas of my life. And I went and sat in my office at home. And I sat on a piano stool. I can't play piano, but I sat on the stool. And I cried out to God and I said, God, if this is all there is to life, then I don't want it anymore. If this is all there is to church, I don't want it anymore. If this is all there is to being a minister, to being a pastor, I don't want it anymore. And at that moment, I encountered God. Like I encountered God years and years ago, I encountered God in a fresh way again. And I loved God. And I was a child of God. I was a Christian. I was a born-again Christian. But at that moment, I encountered God once again in a fresh way. And God said, no, this is not all there is to life. I have so much more for you. And that's how Generation Church got started. It was through me sitting there saying, God, is this all there is? And I encountered God. And I've realized that was two years, two, two and a bit years ago. I've realized that that encounter cannot hold me. I need to start encountering God more and more and more and more. And the more I encounter God, the more I realize who Jesus really is. He is the Messiah. He is the one who brings hope, joy, love, salvation, peace. He is the one who frees the captives. He is the one who frees those who are bound by sin and hurt and pain. And just like a car needs to fill up on gas... It can be a little expensive these days to fill your car up and gas. But we need to fill up on fresh encounters with God. You know, the great thing about God is this. Is that the more we encounter God, the more that God reveals himself to us. And the more God reveals himself to us, the more we encounter God. It's like one big cycle. And we start to encounter God more and more and more. And we realize that in the midst of encountering God, that God is there even in the smallest of things. You know, after that, that, that time on December 26, 2008, my wife Raquel and myself started just having these conversations. As the, the spring came around, we would sit on our deck at night, we'd get home from work, and we'd just talk. We went through a season, we didn't watch hardly any TV or anything. There was reruns on, it was summer and spring, you know. 
And we'd sit outside and we'd just start talking. And in those moments, because we were starting to encounter God, we started realizing that God was there in those conversations. And I started realizing that in the midst of just a conversation with somebody else, that when you talk about God, God shows up. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And I realized that to be true in those summer nights on that deck. We suddenly found that God was in our conversation. God was right there. And we would say stuff and we were like, whoa, where did that come from? And we'd, like, and we'd start jotting down stuff we'd say because God was there. You know, we're moving into a new season as a church. And part of that thing of the new season is that we're going to start meeting together in, in some kind of small groups. We're going to call it Conversations. And I believe it's not just going to be a group so we can get together and we can study just a, you know, a six-week uh, Bible study. And, you know, by week four, we're like, oh, I've had enough of this. It's boring. I don't, you know, I've got too much other stuff going on. But it's so that people could come together and talk about God so that they will encounter God, not just on a Sunday morning, but they will encounter God when they get together and the people of God start talking and conversing with one another. Because I believe that when people come together, And people love God. God shows up and they encounter God. So as we finish up our encounter series today, we've done five weeks. We looked at a woman who was sick for 12 years and God suddenly healed her. She had an encounter with God. We saw a man who was just a short little man who climbed a tree. Just seeing who Jesus was and he encountered God. Changed his life. We see a man named Peter who... Just some average Joe encountered God and he became one of the greatest men who ever lived. We see John the Baptist, a godly man who encountered God and he realized who Jesus was. We saw a family, a Mary, a Martha, a Lazarus, who in the midst of pain and death, encountered Jesus and realized that Jesus was the God of this universe. The same one. And as we finish up today, my hope is that for some of you, you've had a God encounter. That you've had a God encounter. My hope is that through the music that we've played here on Sunday mornings, through the videos that we've shown, through the outreaches that we've done, the baskets that we did, through the teaching that we've given, through the opportunities to serve, through just coming together and connecting with one another and finding new friends, my hope is that you have had a God encounter through that. Because unless you have a God encounter, you will not understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who has come to save you, redeem you, set you free, and give you life. And we we created this environment here so that you could experience a loving, living God. And you know, we're going to move on to our next chapter. And my prayer is this, is that as we move over across 95 into that movie theater, my prayer is that we will continue to have those God encounters and they will become more and more and more and that people will come into our gatherings on Sunday morning and realize that people are encountering God and that they will encounter God as well. My prayer is that as we go out through our week and we connect with one another and we go to work, that God will be there and we will encounter God. 
as you go week to week, month to month, year to year, that we will continually encounter God. And we're going to look back and we're going to say, wow, I didn't know Jesus was there. I didn't know Jesus was in the midst of that pain or Jesus was in the midst of that struggle. I didn't recognize him. I didn't know that he was the one. But we're going to look and we say, wow, look at what Jesus has done in my life. And as a church, as we encounter God, what will happen individually, you will encounter God. As we, as people come into Generation Church and they will find life, so you will find life. And God will show up. And we will encounter him and realize who he really is. So it may have been a long time since you've encountered God. But God is saying, I'm here. Accept Jesus for who Jesus is. The Messiah. The one who has come to give life, hope, and salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for...